everybody. Welcome back to Two Strike Noise, your weekly podcast with your co-hosts. I am Jeff Paulson, and joining me as usual, Mark A. Johnson. Say hello, Mark. Hey, this is Mark. Um, Moogie's still working on my levels here. I think we're okay. Thanks, Moogie. All right. Doing a good good job back there. Well, this, of course, is Two Strike Noise, your weekly podcast where we talk all about the Alon's Hurling League, which, of course, is found only in Ireland. And if you are listening to this anywhere outside of Ireland, we welcome you. But Jeff? Uh, yeah, yeah, your I levels even, off? No, no, no. I'm, I'm good. No? I think we're good. Um, I, I don't even know what hurling is except for uh, a euphemism for vomiting. No, well, this is the hurling. It, it's a it's a Gaelic sport where it's a mixture of field hockey, uh, rugby, and a little bit of soccer. And wow, uh, I mean that sounds interesting. But I think our listeners are expecting us to talk about baseball today. Well, that's disappointing because everything I prepared had to do with hurling. So that's a lot of work right out the window. Well, but you know, you could have checked people with me want first. It. <laughs> If the people want it, I guess I guess we will go back to the tried and true format of baseball and the the strange things that we can come up with. All right, that's cool. We can do that. So it just so happens that I I do I did just find some things that we can talk about uh, when it comes to baseball. Uh, first of all, we've got uh, the second part of our interview with Trevor from the Hanshin Tigers English News that is coming up today. Some really good stuff. We we talk a little bit more about Major League Baseball and uh, some of his favorite players and uh, kind of kind of some, some more comparisons between the two leagues that are really interesting. So we've got that coming up uh, in the second half, but we're going to start it off with, uh, with some BP and some interesting topics we found on the internet. So Mark, I got, I got, this is quiz day here at Two Strike Noise. I have got questions for you. Oh boy. There's no math, is there? There is, well, uh, I will, I'll skip over the math questions. I've got a list here of some recent baseball-related questions from Jeopardy. Oh, right on. Okay, I love Jeopardy. And these, I, I, I think you should get these. I, I did pretty well on these. Okay. So we're going to start. Uh, the first category is baseball geography. The question, and you do need to answer this in the form of a question, please. Gotcha. So the answer is, after Alaska, it is the largest state in area without a major league team. Um, largest state in area. You know what? I'm going to go with Wyoming. I am sorry. The answer is actually Montana. And you know what else? Oh. I didn't phrase it in the form of a question. No, you just, you're a double loser. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds All like right. the story of my life, man. <laughs> Next category is let's go Dodgers. In 1958, the Dodgers came to LA from this Brooklyn ballpark that had been their home for four decades. So where did the Dodgers play when they were in New York? The Dodgers, of course, played in the Polo Grounds. That was the Giants. Yeah, I knew that. Uh, I just, uh, <clears throat> okay, I didn't know that. <laughs> where did the Brooklyn the, Dodgers play? The Ebbets Field. Ebbets Field flannels, of course. Ebbets Field, one of my, my, my second favorite ballpark in New York after the Polo Grounds. This this one made me think for a minute. This two-word animal term for a painful leg cramp traces back to the 19th century baseball slang. That would be, what is a charley horse? Correct. Ding, ding. 
All right, you'll like this one. Uh, Oxymorons is the category. Jacksonville's minor league baseball team is named this, a classic shellfish oxymoron. What is? What are the jumbo shrimp? You got it. <laughs> I knew you were going to get that one. Now, this one, uh, I think we'll, 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 uh, we'll cut it off after this one. This one I had to think about for a minute, and then once I realized what the answer was, it was, it was easy to get the both of the answers. The uh, the answer is either of the two current pro baseball team names that don't end in the letter S. Um, well, I guess I would go with the White Sox. I mean, sorry, what? who are the White Sox and the Red Sox? Exactly. There we go. Once you get one, then it's easy. Yes. All right. So I did some, uh, I, I found something else uh, that was kind of interesting to me. It's not really a quiz. It's, uh, it, it was raised some questions that were interesting to me, and it has to do with the longest tenured um, player for each team. So here, here's one uh, that, that they were just in town here uh, in the Bay Area. Who's the, the longest tenured player on the Reds? The longest tenured player on the Reds. Is it a relief pitcher? No, it's a first baseman, and his last name starts with a V. Uh, Joey Votto? There you go. All right. <laughs> now, I what amazed me at this, I did not know Joey Votto was 35 years old. Wow, I didn't know that either. It, I, I like I would have guessed he was like 28 or 29. Like, I guess he's been in the league for a long time, but maybe just because he's playing in Cincinnati, I don't hear about him. I don't know. Yeah, I I, I guess so. But uh, I w- I'd like to change my answer, actually, to who is Joey Votto. Yeah, we're past that. You're, oh. you're good. Okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, let me find another interesting one. Next one. Who is the longest tenured player on the Angels? I'm going to give you a multiple choice here. That, that, maybe that'll make it easier. You've got the man, the myth, the legend, Mike Trout. You've got uh, Albert Pujols, Peter Borgia... I can never say his name. I want to say <laughs> Bourgeois, but no, Peter Borges, who I believe was released like a week ago. So I think you can scratch him off the list. Or Cole Calhoun. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that this one is, is Albert Pujols. No, no, Mike Trout. What? Albert Pujols. Yeah, Pujols, uh, Trout was already up when Pujols signed that contract. He's been oh. in the big league since 2011. Not who's the best player. On no, the no, team. no. I was doing who is the like longest serving in baseball, not team. Oh, oh, I got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tenured with with the team. What a now, schmuck. Okay. <laughs> this one, I'm going to give you, I'll give you the, the hearty handshake and high five if you get this one. Who is the longest tenured player on the Miami Marlins? <laughs> I will give you, because first of all, I could not name four players on the Marlins. I'm going to give you, I'll give you multiple choice. You got Martin Prado, Jose Urena, Adam Conley, who I have no idea who that is, or Miguel Rojas. <laughs> None of those are who I <laughs> didn't, was Still guess. didn't help, did it? <laughs> I was going to guess totally different. I, um, <laughs> I'm going to go with Miguel Rojas. It is actually Martin Prado, and he's only been on the team since the 2015 season. Oh, wow. So not a long yeah. tenure. My answer would have been Arrestes Destrada. What about... Um... Charlie Huff? <laughs> How long has Charlie Huff been on the Marlins? <laughs> well, he, he, he was the starter for their very first game in franchise history. Oh, so. That's right. <laughs> 
and Preston Wilson. Uh, yes. Oh, remember Piazza was on that team. Benito Santi, not the oh, not the in- initial team, but you know, in the franchise, Piazza, Benito Santiago, Sheffield. My God, Sheffield was on that team, and of course, wow. Miguel Cabrera came up with the Marlins. Yes. If you and if you watch the video of his first game, the dude was like a toothpick. He was so skinny. Oh, that's funny. Well, Jeff, I appreciate you giving me the giving me the opportunity to make a complete fool of myself and miss every question. Thanks, oh, man. I, this this is a t- this is an online quiz, and I think I got like four or five of them right. Here, let, let's send you off on a strong uh, a strong send off here. Who is uh, Nolan the, Ryan? Who is the longest tenured player on the uh, Seattle Mariners? I'm not even going to give you multiple choice. I'm going to go with Felix Hernandez. There you go. Good job. 2005. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if I miss that one, I can't show up at work tomorrow. No, I think they'll bar you from entering. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I got I got one more thing here before we get back into uh, the second part of our interview uh, with Trevor from the Hanshin Tigers English News. Uh, coming up in this interview, we we talk about who was Trevor's favorite, you know, favorite players. Uh, Trevor being originally from Canada before he moved to uh, to Japan, and he mentioned some of his favorite players from the major leagues, and one of them was Kirby Puckett. Yeah. Who, I mean, everybody liked Kirby Puckett, and you know, unfortunately, he passed away at a much too early age, but. I found a great story about him, and I wanted to just share it here. So you remember Mike Tremblay, the yeah. the relief pitcher. So he came up with the with the Twins, and he was a rookie. And apparently he was sitting in his locker one day in the clubhouse, and he had just gotten his first major league paycheck. So he's staring at it, and uh, he's got this, this big smile on his face because, I mean, it's his first major league paycheck, probably more money than he's ever earned you know, in his, in his career. Sure. Kirby Puckett walks by and sees him smiling. He goes, first big league check, huh? And Trombley looks up and, and smiles and, and nods his head. Puckett reaches into his pocket, pulls out a big roll of cash and asks, you want me to cash it for you? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Oh boy. Kirby Puckett. All right. So that should do it uh, for our batting practice segment here. We're now going to roll into the meat and potatoes of our episode, which is the second part of our interview. So we're going to get right into it. Once again, we are talking with Trevor, who is the curator, the uh, president, the CEO of all things uh, Hanshin Tigers uh, in English in Japan. So let's uh, jump right back into that right now. Who is your favorite? Who's your favorite player uh, all time, both in the majors and in the uh, NPB? Oh gosh, that's a really that's a really hard question. Um, I don't know if I followed the majors closely enough to have like a, a you know hands down favorite player. Um, but I was a Blue Jays fan in the uh, in the eighties, and uh, Blue Jays and Twins were my teams just because of uh, because of country and then because of proximity. Because I'm from the middle of Canada, so the Twins <laughs> are kind of close to me. Uh, so back in the back in the eighties nineties, I really liked uh, guys like Jesse Barfield, um, Joe Carter uh, for the Blue Jays, and then I really liked Kirby Puckett. And I was really saddened when I heard about some of the stories that came out about his personal life and stuff. But certainly as a player, I really liked Puckett as well. And then I guess later on, like guys like Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, I was a big fan of him as well. So as far as the majors go, those are my favorite. Um, and then in NPB. Um, 
actually a lot of my favorite players uh, mostly come from watching on video, but Randy Bass has got to be near the top of that. Um, and I, I had the good fortunes of meeting him and being able to interview him uh, for my website um, just through some just through some great connections. Um, he's a really good guy. And uh, just to be able to hear his stories of what he did, like he, he really is legendary and yet he also is very humble. And so I kind of I like cheering for guys that are not only great players, but also good people. And so, again, that's that's one of the reasons that it kind of hurt to hear stuff about Kirby Puckett. Uh, but with Randy Bass, I mean, just. You know, he was, a, he was a state senator and uh, he says he's still kind of blown away when he comes to Japan. You know, people are in tears as they're shaking his hand or as, as he's giving them a hug or whatever. Like they're literally beside themselves. It's like they're being touched by God or something, you know. But to him, it's just regular. He's like, I don't I don't get it, but I'm glad I'm able to have that kind of impact on people. So, he's a true living legend there. He really is. Yeah. That's a great interview. I read I read your interview on on your website, and that was that was that was good. He did. He was very humble. I was I was super excited to to hear that he's just as nice as I hoped he was. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And so I, I've actually uh, been able to kind of befriend or or at least get in touch with a lot of former Tigers. Um, another one from fifty plus years ago is uh, Gene Backey. He was a legendary pitcher, and he's he's like eighty two years old now, something like that. Um, also a great guy, um, and he was the first and for a long time the only uh, non-Japanese to win the Sawamura Award, which is the uh, the equivalent of the Cy Young. Hmm. Um, and so he played with the Tigers, and he he won that in 1964, which is the same year that uh, Sadaharu O oh set the home run record of 55, which was also broken later on. Um, but anyways, uh, he's also a great guy, and so uh, I love watching old video footage of him whenever I can find it and just talking to him and hearing story about you know, certain guys that he faced or things like that. It's really cool. Cool. So I've got some questions, uh, that I I'm hoping you can answer kind of some differences between, uh, the MLB and the NPB. Um, some of them that I, that I observed when I was there and then others that I've, that I've just through reading and watching videos. So ceremonial first pitches. So Mark and I, having been having worked in baseball for for over twenty years each, we've seen a lot of ceremonial pitches, and it's usually somebody goes out there, they throw it, and the the low man on the totem pole from the dugout <laughs> or a coach has to go out there and catch it. But that is not the case in Japan. No, it's not. Um, the catcher is the starting catcher for the home team, and uh, the person st- they, they actually have someone standing at the plate too, and that is always the leadoff hitter for the road team. Oh wow. Yeah. Now this is interesting because when I was there, uh, my favorite player of all time is Ricky Henderson. And when I was there for the, for the Mariners and A's, he came out one day and was the ceremonial batter. And then Ken Griffey Jr. did it the next day. And I noticed they also swing and miss. Is that traditional? That is, um, except for guys like, um, do you remember Tsuyoshi Shinjo? He played for the Mets Mets. and I think for the Giants. Yeah. I think like, I think it was after he retired. No, no, no. It was when he, he came back to NPB. Um, he stood up there um, for a ceremonial first pitch and he actually swung and hit it and he hit it on purpose. <laughs> he, he, lined, he lined it into left field or something like that. So yeah, but typically they do. They swing and miss no matter how bad the pitch. Yeah. Now Shinjo was a tiger, was he not? He was, uh, yep, from 91 through 2000. So my point here being is we've seen so many awful pitches, ceremonial pitches. I would be afraid to have a batter be up there. What about now? This is something I noticed recently. 
Is there any such thing as road gray uniforms in the NPB? It looks like both the home and the road team both wear white pants, but then usually the the visiting team might wear like a solid colored top. Is, is there not really home and road differential in, in terms of uniforms? That's a good question. And I wish I could say this with full confidence, but I don't pay that close attention, especially to the pants. But um, like the Giants road is, road uniform is gray. Um, and some of the teams definitely have like a gray to their road uniform. Um, Hanshin in years past has had gray in their uniform as well. And, and they do have different pant colors depending on if they're home or road. Um, but yeah, typically the the road team will have like a solid color and the home team is white. Um, but gray is maybe a, a little bit less common these days. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I noticed I I love uniforms. Uniforms and stadiums are two of my favorite things. Um, especially historically. And I've been watching all these videos and they're just, everybody's got white pants on. So it was kind of interesting. So let's talk about a couple of imports for the Tigers, because you've had some names that that both Mark and I are very familiar with. Oh, nice. Um, After after Randy Bass, Cecil Fielder really came in and was was Randy Bass's replacement. Is that that's correct? Yeah, that's exactly right. So Bass actually got canned halfway through the 88 season. And that's another story in and of itself. But anyways, uh, to replace him or to try to replace him, they brought in this little known uh, guy out of Toronto or who had played for the Blue Jays who wasn't getting enough playing time in Cecil Fielder. And yeah, he tore it up, uh, hit 38 home runs, uh, could have won the home run title were it not for him breaking his own finger when he slammed his bat down uh, after he struck out (laughs) in a game late in the season. So his season ended prematurely. But anyways, um, the team wanted to lock him up for a couple more years, uh, but he... I guess, wanted more money than they were willing to offer. And then an offer came in from Detroit. And so he bolted. And obviously, as we all know, he was highly successful in the majors after his time with Hanshin. Yeah, he did pretty yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. not bad <laughs> Had a son that did pretty well too. Yeah, I think they each had the same number of home runs, 319 or something like that. Mike Greenwell, another name that I remember. I've, I've got a ton of Mike Greenwell rookie cards, <laughs> but... Uh, he was uh, he was a great player for the uh, for the Red Sox. Yep. Uh, he likewise did have did he have success there? He only played one season there. He was the most he is the most notorious import in Hanshin history. <laughs> like there's there's a term dame gaijin, which basically means like bad foreigner, um, and uh, they typically use that for guys that don't pan out. And he he is the like representative the states person for the dame gaijin uh, i think he lasted 17 games or maybe seven games um, he was signed for three million bucks and uh, he broke his broke his ankle or he fractured a bone or something like that anyway so he had a press conference uh afterwards saying you know so i don't i don't i haven't seen the video of it so i'm just assuming this is what he said but you know how like in, in america we'll kind of casually just say well i guess that's god's way of saying it's time for me to hang it up or whatever right like th- that was just god telling me i had to stop and he said something like that, but in Japan, where the concept of God is not, it's not the same as it is in America, it's basically become this, this like phrase that everybody knows in Japanese. If they say, kami no utsu, otsuge, it basically means like, these were God's words for me. And so, you know, with Japan, it's got this almost like reverent feel like Greenwell, this, this failure of a gaijin of, of, of an import heard from God almighty that he was supposed to quit the team. So it's very notorious <laughs> words here. The press has actually gone and tried to find him and interview him since then. And there's even been some some uh, incidents with that as well. I think he's got like an amusement park down in Florida now. 
And uh, <laughs> I guess some of the some of the overactive media tried to get to him. And I guess somebody might have like broken into his property or something. And he had said to them, you know, in my country, if you break into someone's property, that's grounds for you to be shot. And so <laughs> that also kind of became story here as well. <laughs> wow. Infamous Mike Greenwell. <laughs> Mike Greenwell was my brother's favorite player of the 80s. And I used to trade him all my Greenwell rookie cards and so on for Craig Biggio. So I think I got the best of the deal. Uh, George Arias. Now, I think you listed him as one of your favorite imports or maybe even just former uh, favorite players. Is that? One of of the top import hitters that we've ever had, certainly. Um, As far as hitters go, we've had a lot of successful uh, import pitchers and you know, that tends to happen in a pitcher's park. But um, yeah, I was able to catch up with George Arias and interview him as well and just kind of talk to him about his time with the team. Uh, so he was with the team for three seasons, I think 2002 to 2004, and was a big part of the uh, the quote-unquote curse-breaking uh, pennant of 2003. So yeah, uh, I think he hit 38 home runs that year. And uh, yeah, really good guy. Couple of other names, Mark, that you'll be very familiar with: Larry Parrish, Marvell Wynn, Rob Deere, who was one of my favorite uh, strikeout artists. Amazing, yeah, <laughs> one of the best. Glenn Davis, and and uh, if if you don't know Trevor, uh, um, Mark here works for the Mariners. Uh, I worked for the Mariners till I, I moved away last year. Mike Blowers also played for the Tigers, who is now no the, uh, the the the. Uh, color commentator for the Mariners on TV. Oh, cool. Well, those are all one and out guys with the team. And so actually um, I haven't done a ton of research on any of them simply because I, I didn't realize actually even how much of an interest they might generate from English uh, speakers or English readers. Um, but just a quick story about Rob Deere, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, I forget what year it was, maybe 95 he came out here. Does that sound too late? That would probably be at the tail end of his career, yeah. Because I mean, his heyday in the majors was was the late '80s, early '90s. Okay, so it yeah. might have been '95 then. Um, but he came out here, and he was just an absolute sensation in spring training, um, just hitting the ball farther than anybody else on the team or anybody that they'd seen in a long time. And so, what they had to do was because these balls were going out, and I guess they were. I don't know if they're hitting cars or what, what was going on, but they had to put up a net and they called it the deer net because, <laughs> because only he was hitting balls far enough that that net needed to be put up there. But then it came into the season and he, he was what he was notorious for uh, even in the majors and he was just whiffing nonstop. And so I don't know if he even lasted a full season, but the deer net is still a story that lives on. What, uh, how many stadiums have you been to in Japan? Oh, sadly, not as many as I'd like to say that I've been to. Uh, let's see, Yokohama, uh, Nagoya, that's Chunichi, uh, Koshien, Osaka Dome, Kobe Hotomoto Field, and Hiroshima. So five, I guess, out of 13. So um, the Buffaloes actually have two stadiums that they play at as their home field. Typically, they'll play at Osaka Dome, but they also play at Hotomoto Field in Kobe, uh, which is the neighboring city, because the Buffaloes are a merger of two teams that used mm-hmm. to exist and so they still have the two ballparks there at their disposal the oryx blue wave that's right which was which was ichiro's team that's correct when he was there yep. yeah and then also the they were my favorite team okay and uh george arias <laughs> played for them as well um and then uh with the uh the kintetsu buffaloes which is the other half of the oryx buffaloes uh hideo nomo played for them Nice. Yeah. And which which is your favorite stadium? Is it is I would it the say Tigers? Overall, it would have to be Koshien, uh, the Tigers stadium, um, simply because of its history. 
Uh, but as far as uh, just being a very well put together stadium and just the uh, the way that it's laid out, Hiroshima's got a really nice stadium. And I've heard that the uh, the Rakuten Eagles up in Sendai, I've heard their stadium is amazing as well, but I have yet to be there. But Hiroshima is also very nice. And, and did I read... I, I I read something, and I want to see if if you can confirm this that they they sure. do that they don't schedule the double headers out of kind of respect for people's schedules, and so then they they stick them all at the end uh, end of the season. Is that was that is that a fair assessment? You know, what? I'm not really sure. They did double headers until the mid or late 1990s, um, and. It might be because of schedules, but I also have read, um, and this happened last year because I think Hanshin had like 14 rainouts during the year. And so they, they literally had like two weeks to make up 14 games. Um, and even one of those rainouts or um, makeup games was rained out. Um, so they're like, well, what do we do for, you know, our, can we do a double header? And they said, well, it's just too much work or it's too hard to empty the stadium out of all the fans and then bring them back in for the second game. And so I don't know if it was a ticketing issue or what, but that might be one of the reasons as well. Jeez. Now yeah. for, uh, you, you mentioned rainouts. How many, I, there's only a couple of stadiums though. And, and the Tigers being one of them is not a dome. Is that, is that correct? Um, the Pacific league. Uh, so each one has six teams. The Pacific league, I think has four proper domes. Um, and then the central league has two. So a total of six, six out of 12, I oh, guess okay. are domed. Yeah. And and one thing that is very interesting with the the non dome stadiums, do they all have completely dirt infields? No, I think um, Koshan is the only one that really has a proper dirt infield or proper uh, full <laughs> dirt infield. Yeah, and and that just remains from back in the early days of the stadium. And I think one of the big reasons they keep it not only is it iconic, but also because of the high school baseball tournaments that happen there. Mm-hmm. And I mean that's just kind of it's part of Japanese culture now that it is a dirt infield. And I don't know if you've ever watched the high school tournament, but when, when the guys get eliminated, their team gets eliminated, they take their, their cleat bag and they fill it with Koshi and dirt. And that's kind of their bring home from the tournament. That's awesome. And, and do they, do the Tigers still play? I read, it might've been on your site. They still play some games at the Buffalo stadium because that tournament is such a big deal. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So the tournament is older than the Tigers. Um, in fact, yeah, I mean, the tournament is, I think, 100 years old, and uh, pro baseball in Japan is around 85, 86 years old right now. Wow. Pardon me, 83. Uh, so, yeah, so high school baseball has been around for longer, and the tournament um, has been at Koshien Stadium pretty much since the start. And so, yeah, every year, right from the Tigers' inception, um, they have played some of their games um, at a different stadium. And in recent years, like in the last decade or so, maybe more, it's been at the Buffalo's home home park in downtown Osaka. Oh, that's cool. That's interesting that you, and you, you talk about this, this tournament. I think maybe our listeners uh, would benefit from hearing just kind of a general overview. If you can, if you can do it without, <laughs> I, I don't know how involved the tournament is, but I think uh, our listeners would be interested to know just the general outline of, of what it's like. Yeah, sure. Um, so the the centerpiece is the, the summer tournament, um, which takes place in August, basically. And it's almost the whole month. Well, it's about three, three and a half weeks long. Um, and so there are 47 prefectures in Japan, uh, I guess the equivalent of states, right? Um, so each prefecture gets one team in the summer tournament. Plus, I think Tokyo gets two. 
because of population and Hokkaido, which is the northern prefecture of Japan, gets two because it's so geographically vast. So there's 49 teams in this tournament. I don't know how they start the brackets then. I think some of the teams get buys into the second round, but basically it's an elimination tournament. Um, and so it goes from 49 all the way down to two on the last day. Um, and so for the first the first and second rounds, maybe even the third round, um, they play two or three games in a single day, sometimes even four, uh, depending on scheduling. Wow. Yeah. And so, I mean, the team that gets crowned at the end uh, gets a ton of glory. Um, the national TV station, NHK, um, broadcasts every game from start to finish. And literally, I mean, especially in summer when it's so hot, I mean, people don't want to go outside anyways. And so they'll stay in their air-conditioned homes and they'll watch the tournament from, from the time they wake up until the time the sun goes down and there's no more baseball on the field. It is a huge national event. That's, that's so cool. Yeah, it, it really is. And I mean, a lot of these kids, I mean, they, they get fame. Um, well, I mean, a lot of the ones that perform well will be drafted, right. of course. Um, some of them straight out of high school. Some of them uh, elect to go to college. Um, but it's big. I mean, they get, they get fame. And even if they don't ever play pro ball, I mean, if they say, hey, I played it in the Koshian tournament, I mean, that's just instant creds right there. You know, with the people, you know, if you, if you ever want to do the humble brag, gotcha. that's it right there. You know, <laughs> I play at Koshian. Yeah. Um, so it, it's a huge deal for sure. Um, and then the spring one, just to really quickly talk about that, it's a little bit, it's kind of like a little brother type of tournament. So um, they take X number of teams from each region and there, some of them are determined by, um, by regional tournaments and if they win the tournament, but it's also called the Invitational. It's the Spring Invitational. And so there's a committee, I guess, of, you know, the Japanese high school baseball committee or whatever it's, it's called, and they'll choose which teams absolutely they want in the tournament. And so they'll send out invitations to these teams. And I think it starts with around 32 teams. So it's a little bit of a shorter tournament, but uh, at, that also takes place in March, around March 20th until April 4th or 5th, a couple of weeks in there. And it's also pretty big, of course, uh, not quite as big as the summer one, but uh, yeah, those are the two tournaments. That's awesome. That that those tournaments are on my short list of of a topic that I want to cover at some point. Um, just see, I, I've watched YouTube videos of games and just highlights, and it's incredible. It's it's just like a major league game. Everyone's so into it. Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, legend is made at some of these games. I mean, um, if you look up Daisuke Matsuzaka from his high school days, I mean, you'll find tons of stuff on him. Um, I think he threw a no hitter in one of them. He also threw 15 innings in another one. Um, but you know, a lot of these pitchers, even the ones that make it to MLB, um, when they're with their local high school teams, they're not only the ace pitcher. Sometimes they're the best hitter on the team. That 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 goes, you know, just equally here in the states for little league all the way through high school. That that tends to okay. be the case. Yeah, and then you know you get. You guys like Otani and it never goes away and he's still the best hitter. And hitter, so. <laughs> right. It's generally uh, your, your best athlete is you're going to stick them at, uh, you know, at a tough position, shortstop or pitcher. And so true. they end up being, you know, also the best hitter because of the best athlete. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. So um, there is a rule limiting the number of foreign players that can be on a big league roster. Yeah. Um, what, what, what's your take on that? Um, I'm okay with it um, simply because it's it's kind of a microcosm of the society itself. Not that there's a cap on foreigners in this society, but certainly uh, immigration law and uh, you know refugee acceptance policy uh, limit the number of foreigners that are here. And so the baseball 
roster is kind of a reflection of that, although it's kind of forced. And the other one too is, I mean, you know, they if if teams were free to bring in as many imports as they wanted, or if there was no limitation, um, you could probably put a better product on the field with more imports, but then you would lose a lot of the interest of the local, you know, of local folks. You want to cheer for guys that you know, your it was you know your neighbors, uh, coworkers son or whatever you know stuff like that where you've got some attachment to the team and if it's all foreigners uh in a, in a um, relatively homogenous society like japan uh there would be less attachment to the team i think um so i like the idea of being able to have most a mostly japanese core do do a lot of locals get drafted by the local team? Is that kind of more of a thing? Because it it very rarely happens here. I mean, you know, Griffey Jr. at the with the Mariners. I mean, I guess his dad was there. He didn't grow up in Seattle, but not very often does a player get to play in his hometown. Here, is that more it of can a thing? Be, there? Certainly, and and with some teams, it's definitely more of a thing than with others. Um, part of it comes from the and this this is. Slightly insider information and slightly conjecture um, depends on how persuasive the scouts are for each given region. And so, like, for example, the Tigers have got, I don't know, maybe five or six scouts throughout Japan, you know, and each one's got a different block. And uh, the Tigers have drafted a lot of guys out of southern Japan. And my theory is that the scout there has just got more clout and he just talks a better talk than the other ones. And so his word trumps the word of others. But then at the same time, if it is a local player, you do get that community attachment. And also um, there's just already been that much more exposure to him, not only from the, the head scout, but also from maybe others. Um, but then on the other hand, um, some of these guys, like for example, Kanemoto, who we talked about earlier, he's from Hiroshima and he was drafted by Hiroshima, but he didn't want to be drafted by them because he didn't want the pressure of playing in his hometown where you know people that knew him growing up would see him. And if he failed, they would see him fail. Right. So it's, it's uh, kind of a two edged yeah. sword in that sense. I'm curious, um, Trevor, what, what is the minor league system like um, as far as players who are up and coming younger stars who are quite ready for the major leagues? That's a good question. Um, so every team has got a first squad and a second squad um, in Japanese. They're called Ichigun, right? Ichi being one and Nigun, Ni being two, of course. Um, and, it's not like America where, you know, there's separate franchises or separate leagues or whatever. And so, for example, I'll just talk about the Tigers since I know them best. But every team has got 70 players, up to 70 players, I should say, that they can have registered as um, as rostered players. And I guess the limitation on the top squad is 28, maybe 29. Um, I think they just changed it. But anyways, the rest of them are down on the on the second squad. But that still leaves you with like, thir- uh, pardon me, 41 or 42 guys down there to play fewer games because the second squad team, I think, plays about 100 to 110 maybe games in a year. Uh, so you've got fewer games to play and more guys to fit into the games. And so that kind of makes it a little bit tricky. Some of the teams, I think right now, just the Giants and the Hawks have got a third squad. Oh, wow. So the, the, the third squad teams don't belong to any league. Uh, but they can play against independent leagues or industrial league teams anytime they want. I mean, they can. I think they're pretty free to set their own schedule. But the second squad, um, you know, there's 12 second squads in NPB, and they're divided into two separate leagues, but not the same as the as the top squads. So the second squad is divided by geography. There's a Western league and an Eastern league. Uh, I guess just to kind of minimize the travel. I see. 
but so they but so they play regular you know a regular full season plus they have a playoffs and so on and is there there did i read that there's no limit on the number of foreigners that can be on those second yeah that's right you can you can sign as many as are willing to be here but of course um, for the most part, if you're on the second squad, you're getting, you're facing, you know, less pay and just less, you know, less glory. And so the player Makes has sense. to be willing to accept that the possibility of being stuck on the second squad, which is, you know, it's one thing in America to be stuck in double A where at least you're in your home country. But if you're in a foreign country and you're stuck, you know, doing that kind of schedule and that type of, you know, for that type of pay, it's not as appealing. Right. So yeah, you you can get as many as you want, but they have to be willing to come too. Well, just uh, to make this clear, I'd be happy to come play for a second squad team in Japan anytime. Okay. I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll just just so you know, I, I'm terrible. <laughs> but the point is that, you know, I just want to feel like I walked up there. I like wearing uniforms. What can I say? All right. Well, who doesn't, right? <laughs> um, so I got a couple more questions. Uh, replay. Now, I know there is replay in the NPB, but I think it's a little bit different than it is here in the States. What, how, how does replay work there? <laughs> Excuse my ignorance for not knowing how it works in the states. So I'll just I'll just talk about how it works here. Um, teams <laughs> are allowed two attempts or two requests. They're actually called requests here. Yeah. They're, okay. Yeah, they're not even challenges. called challenges here. They're this called requests. We... But anyways, um, yeah, they're allowed to. <laughs> and uh, basically, the the manager will come out of the dugout and he'll kind of make like a rectangle, an air rectangle, I guess, to like a the international the cricket sign for replay oh, okay, that everybody cool. else is adopting. Um, so he, he'll come in and do that, and then um, if the play is reversed um you know in other words if he wins the challenge then he gets to keep his right to have two you know two more still but if he loses those two challenges uh they're done but but the, but the thing here is that okay um, at least from what i've seen the quality of the replays or of the video is not that great um there aren't as many cameras set up as there are in mlb and the quality of the uh the videos i mean you know, sometimes it's still hard to tell from the videos and they don't have maybe super slow motion or they don't have the cameras, you know, zoomed in on the very critical, like, you know, the, the first baseman's mitt or the, or the base or whatever. So sometimes it's hard for them to even make the right call. And I've seen a couple of calls blown even on the replay. Well, that's because one thing I've noticed with the, the Japanese TV coverage is they love to do these long shots and then zoom in yes. real quick when something happens. While here in the States, they kind of zoom in from the beginning and keep those tight shots. But I love those kind of, especially on a home run, It's you'll see almost the entire outfield as the ball is going. And then as soon as it lands in the stands, they'll zoom in on right yep. where it landed, which is a lot mm-hmm. different than true, what true. we're used to. <laughs> So ties, uh, we know there are ties in, in the NPB after yeah. 12 innings. It, there, Even in the playoffs, can there be ties? I saw so reading some of your, uh, your summaries of, of past uh, playoff exploits by the Tigers. It, it sounded like there could actually still be ties in the playoffs. Is that true? And in fact, is in that 2018, last year's Japan series, I think it was game one ended in a tie. So yes, it is still true, even in the playoffs. Uh, so what would happen then is it's a best of seven. And if after seven games, it's three wins to three wins to one tie, they would play a game eight. Yeah. And I think oh, okay. game eight would be allowed to go 15 innings or I'm not really, I forget the exact rule on that because I've never seen it happen. <laughs> well, we had, what was it? An 18 inning game in the, in the World Series last year. 
you just you would never see that no I and guess, uh, i i used to think that it was because of the train schedules and i still hold to that just as my own personal theory although i also read something else about why uh they allow ties but anyways um yeah there's there's no such thing as an 18 inning game here uh certainly not uh regular season anyways yeah so one thing that fascinates me when I'm watching games is the crowd support. And the, as you mentioned, the cheers, each player's got cheers. Um, it, it's kind of like a, a football game, um, uh, football being soccer, I guess, since I'm talking about uh-huh. cheering the whole game. Uh, how, well did te- how well did teams travel? So when the Tigers go and play the Giants, is there a big Tigers cheering section at the Tokyo Dome? Or is it mainly just the home teams kind of stick no, to their home it, venues? Their teams are very well traveled, uh, certainly some more than others. And uh, in recent year that, years, the Hiroshima Carp have probably become the most well-traveled team uh, as far as road uh, crowd goes um, their fans are notorious for gobbling up any extra tickets and uh, most of the stadiums are painted red when they're playing in, in those parks um, but each stadium has got its own section designated for road fans um, typically the road fans will be in the left field stands and that's where their cheering squads are but you're free to buy tickets pretty much wherever you want the only rule is that you can't wear a road uniform or a uniform of the road team in the home team's cheering squad section. No kidding. Yeah. Oh, wow. They just not Um, let you in? I think they'll just make you remove the jersey. And then if if they see you wearing it during the game, they'll probably come and pull you aside and... Yeah, <laughs> that's very interesting. <laughs> All right, so I've got I've got three more questions. Um, pace of play. So this is something that here in the States has been... Uh, it's a hot button topic for the commissioner. Most baseball fans that are true baseball fans don't really have a problem with the pace of play, but they're really trying to speed up the game. Three hours for apparently for people here in the States is just too long uh-huh. to watch baseball. I kind of get the feeling that that might not be such a problem. Not, in you're right. Um, I've yet to hear any complaints about it. I, I sometimes mutter under my breath, like just throw the ball already. But um, yeah, for the most part, no, it's not an issue. And I think, if, if I can just kind of dig, digress, I think part of that comes from just the overall culture here and the fact that maybe like the, you know, the national sport is sumo and sumo wrestling definitely has like a lot of just this buildup where nothing, seemingly nothing is happening, but there's a lot of buildup. And I, I think that baseball kind of takes a little bit of sumo with it, where there's just a lot of buildup between pitches sometimes. Huh. Uh, I, yeah, I, I, I figured that that would not be something that that anybody there would really care that much about. That's that's another plus for the NPB. Yeah. <laughs> um, another thing, well, uh, while we were well, I was at the the Tokyo Dome for the A's and the Mariners. The Mariners put a, a defensive shift on, you know, a, an extreme one where they put three people on one side uh-huh. of the infield. Something that we at this point kind of take for granted now uh, in the major leagues. But the crowd started to murmur, and I hadn't seen that they had shifted yet. And so I was kind of I was looking around. What's what's everybody talking about? And then I saw the shift. Is is that not a, a thing? In By the and large, MPB? it isn't. And one of the reasons is because there aren't that many extreme pull hitters in uh, Japanese baseball. I think, Mm. you know, and that comes back to somewhat anyways to the training and to coaching. Um, You know, coaches definitely try to mold players a lot more than they do maybe in in the West. Um, And a lot of these guys are a little bit more well-rounded as far as their hitting tendencies go. And so you do have some guys that are pull hitters. And uh, there's been a couple, maybe like 
if, if, if I hope I'm not wrong about this, maybe like two or three extreme shifts all season this year. Um, and you know, it, it's just not becoming a thing here just because too many guys. The other thing is that I think guys would be willing to say, look, if you're going to vacate the left side of the infield, then I'm going to put one there. Like I'll, I'll, you know, I'll push bunt that way and make my way to first. They'll, you know, they'll swallow their pride. Whereas I think in America, they might be more like, oh yeah, I'm still going to beat your shift. You know, it doesn't matter what you put on me. You can't stop me type of thing. Well, I, I think there's probably a lot better bunters in the NPB too, since it's something that I'm sure they yeah, work on a lot. <laughs> so another thing I've noticed that this is fascinating to me is there is a professional women's league. Is that popular? Um, not to me. <laughs> and, and that might be an unpopular answer, <laughs> but um, I... I don't, I don't think it is. I don't think the games are well attended. They're certainly not well publicized. And I couldn't tell you more than one player. Like I couldn't name more than one player. And I'd probably get her name wrong anyway. Hmm. So. <laughs> well, we won't ask you, you to name her. <laughs> it doesn't mean it's not a good product. It just means that like I don't follow it. And I don't know of a lot of people that, that do. Um, in fact, this, I think is this summer, they might be having the first girls high school tournament at Koshien if I'm not mistaken, or, or maybe oh. not at Koshien, but they're going to have like a national tournament and try to publicize it a bit more, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, maybe we're just on the cusp of something here. Ah, well, it was it was interesting to me. I saw ads for it while I was there. And then I came home and sought it out and watched some videos. And it was just, you know, uh, women here play softball. Um, there was a women's professional team here that was uh, in the in the early to mid nineties that would go around and, and play minor league teams, but um, nothing, nothing on the level where there was another team of women for them mm. to play. So I thought that was, I thought that Got was it. interesting. Well, Trevor, thank you so much for, uh, for jumping on with us and, and, and talking uh, curses, uh, talking uh, Tigers baseball and just uh, uh, NPB baseball in general. We really appreciate it. Um, do you want to give a shout out to you where people can find you on the internet, your website, your Twitter, all that yeah, kind of sure. stuff? Um, well, first of all, thanks for having me on. Uh, I, I always love talking about baseball and I very seldom tire of talking about it. So that's probably why we went a bit long as well. Um, well, you fit in very well with us then. <laughs> there you go. So perfect. Um, so yeah, you can find my work at uh, www.thehanshintigers.com. Um, and then on most social media, if you just type in Hanshin Tigers English News, you'll find my Twitter, my very seldom used Instagram, uh, the Facebook page, and so on and so forth. The podcast as well, Hanshin Tigers English News. And you'll find that on uh, iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. So we want to thank once again, Trevor, from the Hanshin Tigers English News for joining us. Uh, again, if you want to find uh, more out about the Hanshin Tigers, you can find that at thehanshintigers.com on the uh, interwebs. He is also on social media. He's a good follow on, uh, on Twitter. And uh, you can find him at the Hanshin Tiger. So also, if you want to find us by any chance, you can find us at Two Strike Noise. That's at TWO Strike Noise on both Twitter and Instagram there as well. All right. So now why don't we jump into uh, everybody's favorite segment, the segment that we like to call, and so we do, Second Best. Your second best. Better than most of the rest. Not better than number one. Number one is better than anyone. So, Mark, 
Uh, do you know how we play second best? Yeah, I know how we play second best, man. We've been doing this for a while. Yeah, well, let's just, in case uh, anybody's new here, let's talk about how we do this. We're going to come up with a topic, unbeknownst to the other one. I believe it is my turn this week, so, Mark, I'm still not going to tell you what the topic is. What I'm going to do, though, is in a minute I'm going to tell you what the topic is, and uh, I'll give you a little bit of time to think about it, and uh, during that time, I will tell you and the listeners what I think not only the best answer is, because everybody does that, I want to tell you what I think the second best answer is to the question. So, the uh, second best topic today, something that is very unique for every broadcast that you listen to, baseball, both TV and radio-wise. Mark, I want to know what you think the second best home run call is by an announcer. Boy, wow, okay, okay. So I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about one in particular. You know, I'm not talking about, you know, Kirk Gibson's, you know, home run off of Dennis Eckersley in 1988. I'm talking about you know, kind of the the bread and butter of each announcer. They kind of all have a signature home run call. That's what I'm talking about. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. So I'm going to give you a minute to think about it, and in the meantime, I am going to tell you what my my two are. And there's definitely plenty to to uh, uh, to choose from. So my number one answer is uh, what I think is the best home run call is Russ Hodges. Russ Hodges of the Giants, and and Russ Hodges' uh, go-to home run call was bye-bye, baby. And I know it's something over at the San Francisco Giants. They still embrace that. Uh, it's a phrase that they will you know, put up on a scoreboard or on their ribbon board sometimes when there was a home run. But for me, I think that was the, the best home run call of all time. Uh, when it comes to the second best, I had a hard time here because I'd heard this one several times, but I wasn't exactly sure who said it because I never heard it in person. But I'm going to go with the Goodbye Baseball, which is credited to Dick Reisenhoover. Dick Reisenhoover was a play-by-play announcer for the Texas Rangers in the 70s. And that was his home run call. I, I've always, I, I always thought that goodbye, Mr. Spaulding mm-hmm. was a legitimate home run call. Turns out that is only from the movie The Natural and is not actually somebody's home run call. So oh. this is as good as I could come up with as a kind of a second place. Gotcha. So those are my those are my two. I think the best is Bye Bye Baby. I think the second best is Goodbye Baseball. So, Mark, what have you come up with? Okay, I mean, we all know that that my favorite announcer of all time was Dave Niehaus, of course. Yep. And his was Fly Away, which I absolutely loved. Breaking ball belted into the upper deck. That will fly, fly, fly away. And he he by far has the best grand slam call of all. Yes, the grand slam call, of course, being get out the rye bread and the mustard, Grandma. It is Grand Salami time. And John Wetland one more time set. And here comes the 2-2 pitch to Edgar Martinez now. And a fastball swung on and hit the deep center field. Bernie Williams goes back and it is. Get out the right bread and the mustard this time, Grandma. It is a Grand Salami. And the- yeah, great stuff. So he's definitely my number one. Um, after that, I, 
you know, this isn't his normal. I don't think he says this all the time, but it's so iconic as as a home run call that I, I kind of have to uh, point out Jack Buck. And uh, from 85, the NLCS, when he went, go crazy, folks, go crazy. Smith corks one into right down the line. It may go. Go crazy, folks. But does that count? I'll allow it. I mean, Jack Buck is is classic Cardinals. Uh, and, and was that was that from a national broadcast or was that from the the local? That the eighty five was the Cardinals and the Royals, correct? The, the, yes, but that was from the National League Championship Series. That okay. It was the oh, Ozzie well Smith then. home run. And Got it. Ozzie, if I remember right, Ozzie had had over three thousand left handed at bats and never hit a home run. And. <laughs> He popped one off of Tom, home run, need and fear, as we ended up calling him. And uh, it was the go crazy, folks, go crazy call that I just stuck in my mind and always has been, always has been there since. Anytime I see a team with a big comeback, I'm like, go crazy, folks, go crazy. I will allow it. Okay. As the judge and jury of, of second best, I'm going to allow that. Another of my favorite, just since we're on Jack Buck, um, 99, or 91 World Series, Kirby Puckett hits the home run to win the game, and all he says is, and we'll see you tomorrow night. Into deep left center for Mitchell, and we'll see you tomorrow night. Yep. <laughs> I remember exactly where I was when that happened, too. Yep, me too. I remember that call. So a couple of, uh, so you mentioned a couple of runner-ups. I also had Hey Hey, which was Jack Brickhouse and the Cubs. Nice. That's yeah. pretty well hit, And then uh, a couple of other Cubs-related ones is, it could be, it might be, it is a home run by Harry Carey. 1-1 delivery. Sometimes, which only ended up being a fly out to shallow left field, but <laughs> Harry couldn't always pay attention. <laughs> like towards, towards the end of his career, it was more like, yeah, yeah. Holy Cow by Phil Rizzuto. Oh, Ooh. sure. Here's the windup. Fastball hits deep to right. This could be it. Way back there. Holy Cow. Phil Rizzuto and Harry Carey had a, had a little bit of a feud running as to who actually, you know, came up with Holy Cow. And then uh, I also had That Baseball Is History by the Hall of Famer Eric Nadell from also the... Uh, the the uh, Rangers. Cruz is swinging a high fly down the left field line. It is hooking deep in the corner. Way back, that ball is history. A walk off grand slam for Nelson Cruz. Okay. Um, I, I'm glad we both steered away from Chris Berman and Hawk Harrelson. So thank you very much. <laughs> you know what's funny is both those guys crossed my mind. <laughs> Oh, they both came into my mind, and I said, there is no way that I will allow either of those on my list. (laughs) Yeah, um, you know, I think Bob Euchre, I think he does, like, swing and a drive, way back, get up, get out of here, or something like that, right? And Lucroy sends that one into right center and deep, way back, get up, get out of here, go! Yeah, I saw I saw Euchre's call, and I didn't. I I, I like Euchre. I know he always. I kind of steered away from people that insert the player's name, 
uh, just because I like it to be generic, so you can use it for anything. But yep, no, Bob, you anything Bob Euchre does is classic. Yeah, I, I mean, look at Mr. Belvedere, <laughs> or Major League, or well, yeah, definitely Major League. We we, we definitely we'll have a we'll have a Bob Euchre appreciation show. Oh, sure. uh, at some point. All right, so I think that's going to wrap up our second best for this week. Hey, if you have a favorite home run call that we might have missed. Why don't you let us know? Uh, I, I, I'm going to mention once again our social media at Two Strike Noise, both on Twitter and Instagram. Send us, uh, send us a message. Let us know if we've missed something uh, that you feel is uh, is probably missing, is lacking. In fact, we got Mark. We got a couple of messages about something we said last week. Yes, that we are both rather red faced about. Yes, and it has to do with the crime dog. Yeah, I was a little embarrassed, a little egg on our faces, um, because we reported that Fred McGriff did not win a World Series. And guess what? We were 100% wrong. Uh, Fred McGriff was on the Braves 95 World Series champions. I got messages from, I was inundated. I like that word, inundated. I was inundated with messages. <laughs> inundated as opposed to inundated? Yeah, inundated. I like, <laughs> I like to put the nun in there. Um, yeah, 95. Braves, Fred McGriff, World Series. I apologize, Mr. Crime Dog. All right. Well, uh, we'd once again like to thank Trevor from the Hanchin Tigers English News for being our guest and uh, really uh, setting us straight, A, on the curse, and then also uh, for giving us a lot of great information about uh, the... uh, the NPB and kind of the differences there. So uh, we hope you'll join us next week. Um, Mark, do you want to do another show? Um, Hold on. I got a coin. I'm going to flip. Yep. I'm going to do another show. All right. Well, then we'll do another show next week. Uh, So until then, we want to thank you very much for joining us on Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day.